0: Of our triune God. It's about the who of worship and the why of worship and the how of worship, but it's not a manual on uh, worship. It, it, it goes far deeper than the hollow and shallow externalism It's called in Psalm 100 the title, A Psalm For Giving Thanks. And it gets at the very heart of the sort of worship that Jesus says the Father is seeking. The Father is seeking worshipers to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now for many of us here this evening, perhaps not all, but for many of us, we've been going to church for a very long time. We've come to church... Hundreds of times. Some of us have come to church thousands of times. And sometimes, if we're honest, we don't give much thought to what we're doing and why we're going. We sort of just do what we do. We follow a routine. We get in our vehicle. We park sometimes in the very same parking spot every single week. And we sit down maybe in a similar place every single Sunday. And the pastor comes up front and we just sort of do our thing. And we go through sometimes the motions of worship. And we might even buy the lie that says all that matters is that we're here. And we're here on a Sunday night. But Psalm 100 invites us to see the heart of worship by showing us the heart of who God is. Psalm 100 invites us to see God in His glory, God in His beauty, God in His supremacy and sufficiency, and it invites us to learn more and more to delight in that God. To treasure that God. To find God to be the all-surpassing treasure of our hearts. Psalm 100. I want to uh, focus our thoughts around two things this evening. uh, Beginning with the cause for worship, followed by the character of worship. The cause for worship, followed by the character of worship. So, why is it that we are to respond to the call of worship And secondly, what does that worship then look like? How how is is it manifested from Lord's day to Lord's day? So first of all, consider with me the cause for worship. The cause for worship. Now, we can't worship what we don't know. We can't worship what we do not know, which is why in verse 3, the psalmist, after uh, saying what he does in verses 1 and 2, says know, know that the Lord, He is God. To worship God, we must know something about God. Recently, I heard Alistair Begg, who is a favorite preacher of of mine and many from Cleveland, uh, tell a story about where he he was attending another church in another place and got there on a Sunday morning and and the worship leader got up front after uh, the countdown occurred, and, and lots of excitement, lots of emotion, and the worship leader began the service on a Sunday morning at 9.30 by asking the congregation, congregation, how do you feel? How do you feel? And uh, Alistair Begg, uh, who can be a bit cynical at times, thought to himself, I feel rotten. I feel terrible. I've had a horrible week. I've had a difficult morning. I'm not in the mood. He said, don't ask me how I feel. Ask me what I know. Ask me what I know to be true of God. Because it's as we know God that our affections are shaped. Which is why we begin our services with the call to worship. The Word of God reorients us. Sometimes we're feeling this way. Sometimes we're feeling that way. And we're called to worship by the living God. And it speaks to us. And it reminds us of what we know to be true in the revealed will and Word of God. And it is that which we know which then shapes and stirs up our affections. By the way, this is why we need to be in the Word Word of God throughout the week. We need to be in the Word of God throughout the week. We need to be preparing our hearts throughout the week and, and informing our minds throughout the week so that when we come on the Lord's Day, we know who God is, that our affections would have been stirred all week. So that when we come to the Lord's house, we are ready to praise His holy name. Worship begins with knowledge. Now, we are to worship God uh, for two reasons, according to Psalm 100. We are to worship God uh, because of who He is and because of what He has done. Uh, because of who He is. Verse 3 says, know that the Lord, He is God. Now boys and girls, that might sound overly obvious or simplistic, but I want to urge you that it is not. It is the reminder that we need each and every day, each and every week. He is God, and there is no other. He has no rivals. He stands alone, and He will not give his glory to another. He is jealous for his own praise. He is the most God-centered being in all of the universe. In fact, if you noticed in Psalm 100, there are a number of commands, imperatives, as many as seven or eight imperatives. Make. Serve. Come. Know. Enter. Give. Bless. These are not recommendations. These are not suggestions. This is not come and worship when you feel like it or when it works for your schedule. This is a reminder that we are called to worship our great and glorious God simply because of who He is. Simply because of who He is. Even before we get into what He has done, simply by virtue of being the Creator. We owe him reverence. We owe him worship. This is the the, the problem, right? According to Paul in Romans chapter 1, that the, the divine power and deity of God is clearly known, made manifest, and yet, because of unrighteousness, the world suppresses the truth about God. And what does it say there? Paul says, and worships created things instead of the Creator. So the problem is not that people don't worship. The problem is that we worship the wrong things in our sin. And God, because He is God, because He is the only God, demands and deserves our praise. But the psalmist in Psalm 100 not only invites us and calls us to praise God because He is God, but also because He is good. Look with me at verse 5. Know that the Lord, He is God, verse 3, verse 5, for the Lord is good. He's good. It's one thing to know that He is God. It's one thing to know that He's even sovereign. It's one thing to confess His providence, to know that He does all things according to the counsel of of His eternal will. It's another thing, I think, to recognize and celebrate that this God is good. That God is a good God. In fact, this is what we confess tonight in the Westminster Confession of Faith. Not only uh, that he knows all things and accomplishes all things and ordains all things, but that he is in all things good. This is who he is. He is for us as our good shepherd in Christ Jesus And I think that's when we really begin to taste, when we really begin to taste His goodness, I think that's when we really start to worship. When we begin to taste not only that He is God, and not only that He deserves our praise, but when we begin to taste and see that the Lord is good, that we are, that we are drawn in And that we begin to delight in Him. And that we're not just here uh, because we're here and and we know we're supposed to be here, but because we we long to be here and we delight to be here because He's good to us. Because we begin to to taste and see and experience that every good and every perfect gift is from above. and, And we learn to see Him in His goodness and see that all things are good for His children. How do we know that He's good? The psalmist says we are to praise Him because He is God and because He is good, but also because of what He's done. Look with me at verse 3 again. know, know that the Lord, He is God. And then it says this. It is He who made us, and we are His. It is He who made us, and we are Now what is he referring to here, the psalmist? Not not so much the fact that we've been created by God, though this is true and this this alone uh, ought to lead us on our knees to give God everlasting praise. Uh, But here the psalmist refers to how how God calls His people to Himself in not creation, but recreation, in His act of redemption The result of which he says is this We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Isaiah 43 Fear not, for I am with you. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. God says, You are mine. You are my possession. You are my chosen one. You are my people. It is He who made us, and we are His. Israel was God's treasured possession, the sheep of His uh, pasture. And and as we hear these words, we we read them through the lens of the new covenant and through the cross, don't we? And we think of Peter's words in his first letter, Peter uh, chapter 2. He says this to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, to Jew and Gentile, to all those who believe in the Savior. But you, he says, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession. Why? To what end? Peter says that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. We have been called by God in Christ Jesus to the praise of the excellency of His goodness and His glory and His grace. If our our doctrine does not lead to doxology, then we're missing the point. If our doctrine does not lead to doxology, then we're missing the point. We've been saved. We've been called. We've been justified. We've been chosen in Christ Jesus to the praise of His grace that we might proclaim His excellencies, that we might live before Him each and every day. And don't miss this. This love, this mercy of which... Uh, The writer speaks, verse 5, endures forever and is faithfulness to all generations. He's the Creator, He's the Redeemer, and He's the Sustainer. He's all of these things. So knowledge of God, the the psalmist understands that we need to know God. We need to know things about God because as we know God who is and who's good and who's made us and has recreated us in Christ Jesus, this stirs up our affections, doesn't it? Have you ever been to the Grand Canyon? Some of you have been to the Grand Canyon. When you go to the Grand Canyon, how do you feel when you leave? Do you feel big? Do you feel self-sufficient? No, you feel small. You feel amazed. Has anyone gone to the Grand Canyon enough to conclude, well, I think I've exhausted all of that? Of course not. Sadly, isn't it sad when we act as if we've exhausted our knowledge of God and we even maybe say things like church is boring when we're talking about an inexhaustible God? Praise my soul, the King of heaven! To His feet your tribute bring, ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven, evermore His praises sing. What do you know? You know by God's grace and the Spirit of God that He is the only God. There is no other. And you know that He's good. And you know that He's made you. And that He's called you. And that He's protecting you. And he'll sustain you, and his mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. You know these things. And what we know then leads us to praise and doxology. Well, that's the the why. Consider, secondly and lastly, the character then of this worship. How is this worship to look? Notice verses 1 and 2. The psalmist says, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. The first characteristic we find in Psalm 100 about worship is that our worship is to be joyful. It is to be joyful. When God is our exceeding joy, we can't help but sing, it sort of just comes out of us, doesn't it? Kevin DeYoung says this Show me a church that loves the gospel and loves each other, and I'll show you a congregation that loves to sing. Show me a church that loves the gospel, that loves each other, and I'll show you a church that loves to sing. Harvest, do you love to sing? Amen. Men do you love to sing? Young men, do you love to sing? When the gospel explodes in your heart, you can't help but sing. The psalmist in Psalm 63, verse 3 says, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Now, this doesn't mean when it says, uh, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth, it doesn't mean there's no place for solemnity or even sorrow. The Psalms, a songbook given to us by Almighty God, is, is, is a song which, which includes the, 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 the totality of human emotions and expressions, including sorrow and grief and lamentation. And, and all of those are to be part of our, our worship services. Songs of, of confession. But joy undergirds it all. Joy. This is what happens when we're saturated in the Gospel. Look down with me if your Bible's still open to verse 4. Not only do we see the characteristic of of joy, but also of thanksgiving. Verse 4, you know this well. Verse 4, enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and bless His name. No longer are our thank offerings Sheep and goats. But the once and for all sacrifice of the atoning blood of Jesus Christ has been been poured out so that we, in view of God's mercy, offer our bodies as living sacrifices of praise to God. In another psalm, there's a fascinating question asked by the psalmist, Psalm 116, the psalmist there says, what shall I render to the Lord for all His benefits to me? You remember this psalm? We don't speak so much in the, in the language of render. What shall I render? In other words, um, how can I say thanks to God for all of His blessings to me, for all of His benefits to me? And the answer uh, the psalmist gives is absolutely fascinating. The psalmist says, I will lift up the cup of salvation. What does he mean? How can I say thanks for all that you've done for me? The psalmist says the answer to that question is this. I will lift up the cup of salvation. In other words, I will thank you by seeking more of you. I will thank You by seeking more of You. And in the seeking of God and in the the disposition and, and, and position of need, we glorify God, don't we? Let me ask you, do we come to church to worship God or to hear from God? Yes. We come to church... To hear from God and in the hearing from God and in the needing God and the receiving from God's word, as He has prepared a feast for us from Sunday to Sunday, when we come in that needy position with hands open, He is absolutely delighted to fill us and feed us, and He is glorified. He is glorified in our position of weakness. And so we come joyfully, the psalmist says, in Christ Jesus. We come with thankfulness, with thanksgiving. We come to offer Him the praises of our lives and of our lips, with our minds and with our hearts. There's one more thing that I'd like to point out. Not only is our worship to be joyful, not only is our worship to be thankful, but our worship is to be global. Global. Verse 1, did you catch it? Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. And by all the earth, I don't think the psalmist means the cosmos. I think what the, 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 the psalmist means in context is all the earth meaning the Gentiles, Praise is not limited to the walls of Israel, but praise is to be broadened and extended to the Gentiles, to all who the Lord will call to Himself. One author, John Piper, has said that missions exists because worship doesn't. The reason you and I ought to have a claim in evangelism and missions and outreach and witness is because we want to see God exalted. That is the ultimate mission of the church. The Great Commission is to go into the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that He has commanded to the end that God would be praised, to the end that people would be satisfied with Jesus Christ. That's what ought to uh, propel us to go into the world, to pray for the salvation of our neighbors, and so you see in which worship and, and evangelism and mission is all wrapped up together. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Listen uh, to Psalm 96. Psalm 96 beautifully uh, brings these two ideas together, that of mission and that of worship. It says, verse one: 1, oh, O sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name, tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory, listen, among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory, do His name, bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Friends, if the psalmist in Psalm 96 and the psalmist in Psalm 100 could say these things then to bring joyful worship and thankful worship that extends out to the nations how much more can we say it today? We are called by God each Sunday morning and each Sunday evening into His glorious gracious presence. How is it that we as sinners can draw near to a holy and all-knowing and all-seeing God? It's a story of a little boy outside of Buckingham Palace who wanted to see the king, wanted to see royalty. And in his... um, joy and in his enthusiasm he cries out I want to I go in I want the gates to be opened I want to see him and one of the guards says be quiet but there was another man who had overheard the little boy say what he did and the, the man said open the gate and immediately the guards opened the gate and the man took the boy in and the man was the prince And just as the prince took the boy in to see the king, so Jesus takes all of us by faith in him to see the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the father of glory, the shepherd of our souls. Jesus Christ brings us to God himself. And how did he do that? Well, the same one who would have sung Psalm 100 as a little boy in the temple with his parents one day would give his life as a ransom for many on a cross where he offered up his body as a true and final and eternal sacrifice for sin. And the amazing thing is this. Even though you and I are sinners, And even though God is holy and righteous and just, when we trust in Jesus Christ and when we know Him, and as He becomes our joy and our treasure, we can't help but be drawn to His inexhaustible riches. And more and more, we view worship not externally, but joyfully from the heart, with thanksgiving to the glory and honor of God and the expansion of the gospel so that other men and women and boys and girls might be drawn in to this good shepherd who gave his life for his sheep. Amen. Father, what a a gift it is to enter Your gates, how we easily take it for granted. Father, help us to remember who You are. Help us to know that You're good, that You're the only God, that You're jealous for worship. But also, help us to remember what You've done for us in in calling us out of darkness, in forgiving our sins through the blood of Jesus, in remaking us, in sustaining us, in being faithful toward us. And Lord, then may we come into Your gates each Sunday joyfully and thankfully as we are increasingly in awe of who You are and what You've done, to know You more and more and more, to come, Father, with hands open, to receive, to hear, to to taste and see that You are truly good. You have shown Your goodness in the most surprising and scandalous of places in the cross. And You who did not spare Your own Son, but gave Him up for us, how much more will You not give us all things that we need? Will You take care of us? And so, Father, we pray that that we would be those worshipers who worship you in spirit and in truth, that we would sing to the praise of your glorious grace, that others might see our contagious joy and our thanksgiving, but most importantly, that our triune God would be honored and praised for the work of your Son, Jesus Christ. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.